Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter, ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. Uh, when I think about my journey within the risk resilience security industry, I think about the people who inspire me, who uh, educate me, who uh, act as role models, uh, and uh, also are on the same path as me. And that is, how do we live, leave this world a better place than we found it? And that's called giving back. And something about giving back is it always propels you forward, at least in my case, it has. And uh, it's fun to run across men in the security industry who have that sense of giving back. And one of them is a risk intelligence and security consultant by the name of Chris Story. Chris, great having you on with the great conversation. Hey, Ron, thank you so much. Uh, as you were kind of working through that, I was like, wow, who's he going to introduce? This is going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great introduction. Well, um, you know, you're a note taker. You've told me before you've taken notes uh, on other people's podcasts. Uh, you probably are in the front row of uh, uh, sessions that you've, uh, that you've attended. Uh, you seem to me as a note taker. You're a voracious learner like me. So I can't wait to pick your brain at a, a regarding a recent event we both attended, and that is the uh, Protective Intelligence Summit in Austin, Texas, a couple months ago. Yeah, the Ontic Intel Summit, um, and you are correct. I, I do take lots of notes. Uh, luckily, uh, and, and to, to be honest with you, Ontic is one of the one of the uh, folks that um, some of their their uh, swag is one of their nice notebooks, right? And I, and I have like four. I don't know, four or five of those things are just full of notes. So I, I, you know, listen to, to really understand what the, uh, what the speaker's saying or what the message is. And then, and then how do I connect, connect my thoughts to those? And I found for myself that when I, when I listen, write, and then I'm kind of replaying what I'm writing as I'm writing it all out, that helps me retain the information better. So sometimes, you know, you look at the notes and you're like, wow, that's, that's awesome. But you're like, yeah, but, I'm, but I, that's what I think because it's already ingrained based on, on writing those, those notes down. So um, a lot of notes from the Intel, Intel Summit, a lot of great speakers, uh, a lot of little breakout rooms. It, you know, you can, never, you can never stop learning, right? At that, that point, regardless of where we are, we stop learning, we're going to die. So, well, well you, know, you know what's interesting, though? Let's, let's create a baseline here, especially for the listeners on this podcast. Let's set a baseline. When Ron Warman is taking notes, he can't ignore his baseline. And that is all the experiences that led up to that moment. All the experiences, mm -hmm. the risks, the failures, the learnings, the people he's met in his life. Ron Warman takes all, consumes information and his note-taking is representative of that. Mm -hmm. The listeners here, you have a very unique background. You know, you, you, I think you were in the army. Is that correct? Yes. I uh, started in the army as a counterintelligence agent. That's correct. And then later on, you entered your first consulting role. Yes. So I, I, I wanted to, so I went kind of backwards. I was a counterintelligence guy and I went in the infantry, did all that stuff. And then, and I wanted to be in the secret service, but at the time when I got out, I didn't have the education or the eyesight to support that and found myself in uh, executive protection. And luckily with that background and the executive protection space, I was able to, uh, to start consulting 
pretty quickly uh, through some folks after after I'd uh, left the military. Exactly. And today, you've built upon that experience by helping organizations like IPSB. Tell us about IPSB a little bit. Yeah, the IPSB, the International Protective Security Board, is a nonprofit that really focuses on, you know, uh, the folks in the executive protection fields and the ancillary um, or, or connected uh, uh, fields, protective intelligence and some of the other areas that, uh, that you know, protectors use. And we use that to educate and promote, you know, the needs and uh, capabilities of the, of the protector space internationally. Absolutely. And your next event is in December in Vegas. Yes, sir. We, we have an event in, in Vegas every year, the Close Protection Conference. It grows every year and it's, it's, it's the largest, at least that we know, right? And this is someone on Pluto or Mars, but uh, the largest gathering of uh, specifically protectors, uh, you know, we'll say in the US, but probably the globe, right? Just where all the protectors are in one space at one time where they've got a, a focus on executive protection. And it tends to be, uh, we call it Switzerland, right? You know, very, very neutral. There's no competition. Everybody's very, very supportive during that time. And uh, it's, it's a great place for networking, connecting with other protectors, um, and also learning about um, tactics, techniques, procedures, and strategies that folks are looking for, that are using in different segments of the industry or, or, or the direction that the industry is going to. So it's a great catch up at the end of the year. So here's Ron Worman taking notes at this Protective Intelligence Summit, and he's doing it through the prism of strict, uh, the strategic bones of a business and what mm -hmm. applies to the future value generation in a business, right? That's mm -hmm. I'm filtering it. You're sitting there with your counterintelligence and EP background. And what did you learn? What, what were your major takeaways or any aha moments from that summit that you learned that, that you saw through your eyes? Well, so I think as I look at things and, and I'm doing the notes, some of them, some of it is reaffirming things that we might've forgotten. Right. We, you know, we, we look big picture and there's some details and you're like, oh, wow, that detail really connects well with something that I'm working on or using uh, or that a customer can use or whatever the case is. Other other. And usually for me, that's really how I look at things. Um, I, I've been able to, I was blessed by getting into counterintelligence first. Help me look at big picture, you know, versus um, what's in front of me and then trying to connect that. I think that for some people, I think that's a little bit harder. Um, so when I look at those, I, I really look at where we're going, what we're doing, am I, are my thought processes aligned with what the industry is doing or am I, am I really a thought leader or am I lagging? I'm just trying to find that balanced approach. And then I'm trying to make sure that, you know, what can I bring to the table in the future based on, on where we are, what's discussed and what does that look like uh, for not only uh, myself, but for, for the customers that I support. So that, that's the lens I look at it through. Interesting. So, uh, knowing quite a few people in the protective space now, um, what I saw out of my eyes, so now we're comparing notes, what I saw mm -hmm. out of my eyes was to use your term, the whole picture. So if a interstate highway of intel protective intelligence information can be connected to data warehouses that mm -hmm. are now independently owned by HR, legal, operations, supply chain, can be interconnected 
where they're just pieces of the pie, but I can now connect those pieces together, together to give them a contextualized picture of risk. And they can associate that to the relevant opportunities ahead of them. That's what I saw. I saw, mm-hmm. yes, a big picture emerging here that no one's quite taking advantage of yet. And of course, the first thing I do is ask why. Why aren't we taking advantage of this today? And I can think of all sorts of constraints. Uh, of course, I'm paid to get rid of those constraints in my business. Right, uh, right. What were you thinking? You were thinking you're seeing the big picture that's evolving with that information intelligence highway. Were you thinking, right. yeah, uh, our EP community is not really going to be into that right away. What, what were you thinking? So uh, a couple things. Number one, I'm thinking, yes, you're absolutely correct, right? That needs to be executed. Um, I think the real piece is that within that information highway, there have to be some bridges built so that people understand the information they need, you know, the information that what is noise, what isn't noise, or what is extraneous traffic, if you will, what's important in that. And I think there's just an education gap that needs to be built to, to support those pieces. I think what tends to happen from my perspective from the EP space is that, you know, protectors really focus on the physical aspect, right? And if you take that aspect away, then, then the perception is that they have no value, right? So if I use tools to identify risk as far away as possible and I change that trajectory, well, then what am I doing to myself, right? And that, that's a, that's a, a belief in, a, in an immature uh, industry, right? Because at the end of the day, we need to use technology to enhance our skills and the, the technology and the information and the information highway doesn't make us a hitchhiker. It really helps feed our strategy, our approaches, our operation. It helps us do our, you know, provide our value uh, so much better. And I think, you know, just from an educational standpoint, we need to understand that better um, as an industry. This is not a tool that's going to put us out of a job. This is a tool that's going to make us very much better at what we do. I don't, I, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but, and this ages me, but, <laughs> but I was at the beginning of computer-aided design and manufacturing. Are you mm-hmm. aware of that tool today? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. Many, many integrators use CAD, computer-aided design, to come up with their facility plans, their security plans, so on and so forth, right? But back in the day when computer-aided design was first starting, we were looking for ways to transform art to part. That is, mm-hmm. whatever your product you were trying to create, we could change the trajectory and the velocity and the value and the quality of that whole art to part process by injecting computer-aided design into it, mm-hmm. right? Faster, better, cheaper. And uh, so I was right at the beginning of that. And I'll never forget one day walking in to uh, the vice president of engineering wanted me to talk to one of his top designers, mm-hmm. Get him on board on transforming from the, from the drafting board to the 3D screen, right? Right, right. And the guy privately says to me, I'm going to do everything in my power to stop you. And I go, why? And he goes, because once my designs are in that computer, I no longer have control over them and my value decreases. Mm. Just yeah. 
just rest on that for a second. It's, it's a very human, but interesting perspective, right? Like I've got it. Yeah. Yeah. My value goes away. If, if, if I, if I use a tool that makes it somewhat easier to see, to identify risk. Right. And I, and I, you know, that's normal, but I think once we embrace it, we understand that, holy crap, now the value I bring is exponential, you know, with this tool. Right. Well, what happened are the ones who seized the tool back then, to your point, who realized it was going to change the way they thought about their business. And they, those are the ones that succeeded, not mm-hmm. who tried to stay on the drafting board. And, right. and so I think, I think your industry, your protector industry is on the cusp of something that is much more than hitchhiking. I, I might suggest it might even be the car. Well, so I would say the hitchhiker is representative of the the, the gentleman who was like, uh, I'm going to fight everything that you want, right? Because at the end of the day, when you fight it, you end up just placing yourself off to the side and saying like, I'm unwilling to change. I'm unwilling to adapt and I'm will, unwilling to see the value in any of these tools that we're, we're bringing uh, to the table. And I would say from a protector industry, you know, that information highway piece is if I can rent, a, I, if I'm looking for a red car, and I, and I have cameras that can see the red car five miles away and, and I know where, where my intersections are and they're coming towards me, I can start taking, at least preparing my plan of action, you know, for if that, if that red car gets into my, you know, very, very close zone versus me walking out of someplace and going, oh, there's the red car. We have to, we have to do all the things, right? So, so I think understanding uh, what that looks like. Um, uh, and, and also I think that sometimes protectors see them as the, the tip of the spear they see themselves as the tip when they're not they're the shield they're like the back end of the shaft and so like when 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 the when something is happening that requires you to act and and we've had all this information and all these ideas that can be pushed to us to identify hey there's risk let's change its trajectory so it doesn't hit us we haven't necessarily you know we put ourselves into a into an arsonist firefighter role right like hey i didn't identify anything coming to you but when i saw it at 15 feet, I stopped it. Do I win? And if we if we could say, hey, look, we had the ability to change that trajectory, you know, at, at a five mile mark, so we didn't have to to put the shields into place. Don't we win more, right? And, and can't we manage more more uh, red cars, if you will, with with that thought process? And I think that that's really what we need to transition to. It's so interesting. I was thinking about us speaking today, and serendipitously. Uh, Brian Tuscan published a video. Do you know who Brian is? I, I do. Mm-hmm. A chief security officer at Microsoft. Yes. He published a video of him speaking with one of his Microsoft counterparts who, um, who helps Microsoft customers adopt new technology in unique ways. And mm-hmm. what this gentleman had done is used the cloud, Azure, and had placed a lot of capabilities inside a new security vehicle. And this vehicle could, was, was outfitted with connectivity to the cloud that would allow them to coordinate assets against any incident. So there mm. are any command centers with intelligence at the edge, at the car, mm-hmm. tied to the cloud and, and watching these incidents unfold watching where all their um, protectors were in relationship to the data that was mm-hmm. all real time 
all at the edge, mm-hmm. in, which was which is kind of fascinating. And I was thinking about our protective intelligence summit and that information highway that was expressed where we're connecting these different things together real time. And just imagine if you had that kind of database in your hands as an EP guy around the world, what that would be. That'd, oh, yeah. that'd be that, that's, that's just taking your service to the next level, right? Of course. Well, we've come, we've come so far. I mean, I remember when I first got in the industry, I was probably in there for three or four years and we were, we were, we were tracking a guy who had knew, knew he was, knew, knew his name, knew his residence, um, had him under surveillance, right? And who had made threats against a CEO of a, of a holdings company, right? And the CEO was embroiled in you know, multiple uh, labor disputes and it, the, the, the risk was significant, right? And protective intelligence at the time was just some putting eyes on, right? Let's put eyes on the guy, right? Well, for whatever reason, whoever was providing eyes on was, wasn't, the, the, the surveillance wasn't continuous. It, they were spot checking and they were spot checking apparently on their schedule. So they're like, hey, this vehicle hasn't moved in three days. We think, he, we think the subject may have taken a different um, uh, uh, method of transportation to your location because that was the threat. I'm gonna come there and I'm gonna kill you and do harm, right? Or do harm and kill you. So now the protective team is scrambling, right? And this is in uh, Houston. So you can imagine needle in a haystack calling for hotels, calling, you know, this person. And that's assuming they checked in under their real name, right? Turns out that the, uh, the surveillance team um, didn't know that the guy was on night shift. So when they went by every day at nine o'clock, his car hadn't moved, right? And so, you know, luckily somebody you said, hey, instead of let, like, let's start working, you know, internal to external here so we can get as you know as much as possible but somebody else call his place of work and see if he's not been at work for a while right so so from a protective intelligence perspective all of those things should be done in at or near real time understanding where the person is whatever's open source but it gives us a start point rather than a, a panic point like hey we need to collapse around the principal and figure out how to do all these things when really we thought we had something in place to execute. Helps us understand those checks and balances. And like you said, with, uh, with Brian's team, helping the customer understand how to use the tool better so they can, they can understand it better and they can make it work for their needs better. I think that's a, just, hopefully that's, a, that's an illustrative example of uh, you know, a very analog approach versus something that we can do uh, near or real time to understand what exactly our threats are and then where our resources are allocated around our, our, our assets. Well, you and I live in a sensor-driven world now. Sensors are everywhere. And one of the most intelligent, adaptable, agile sensors we have is called a human being. Exactly. And so being able to augment our intelligence 24 by 7 using machine learning, AI, and some of the connected, intelligent interstate highway we're developing now is... Mm -hmm to be absolutely necessary, I think, to compete as a protector in this new world. I agree. I agree. I think, and I, and I think there, there's this thing that you, you, you may have a term for it, but I call it the leap, right? Which is, I don't need to see what's happening now. I don't need to see what's happening two steps from now, but, but for example, um, you know, 
some of those things are really easy, right? But 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 the leap to me as a colleague, uh, uh, Tristan Flannery had talked about, hey, uh, orbital risk, I wanna get into uh, uh, space travel, space risk, space security, you know, as we're starting and, you're, and I'm like, well, there, there it is, that's the leap, right? The next, literally the next frontier is space. So that's, how do we get into that early? Well, sometimes we miss things in the security profession, right? Because like, like I think you, you, you demonstrated, I need to hold on to this. And if I let somebody else know what's going on, it's gonna, it's gonna um, reduce my effectiveness. So for the longest time, security teams, you know, whether they're nine or 10, have tried to do everything by, their, by themselves. But in the company that you're in, literally, you've got thousands of other sensors called other employees, internal and external, that can inform you as to what is going on. If you just open your doors to that, right, and you'll start to understand different patterns, et cetera, but security folks haven't necessarily been open to that, right? Because the security team coming to see you is rarely a good thing, right? Um, so opening that and, and being inclusive and understanding helps us with, with that, with the, the most, uh, complex, brightest, reactive, responsive sensor that's available. Like you said, augmenting that with machine or AI is, is, is extremely, is even more value, right? So that's the leap. But I think at some point we, a lot of protectors are, and, and seeing security folks in general need to engage their, their constituents first or maybe not even first, but just do it simultaneously with that machine learning and those AI tools that are available for exponential um, uh, information coming down the highway. And then you can parse out which one is what is noise and what is not. Because I think using only one tool, just using the tool is really helpful, but you have to have that human connectivity piece to, to validate and verify and understand what's going on. Because if not, we just look like big brother and we're not gonna be we're not going to be as helpful as, as we can be in securing our organizations. One of the uh, great benefits um, that I get out of the great conversation is being able to interview people who are cutting edge in their leadership uh, skill sets. And uh, I've had many on, I can think of one right now that comes to mind, the CEO of WD40 who is now the chairman, I believe. And he is a student of leadership. And mm -hmm. what he would say over and over again is once we can release the notion that we need to control everything and begin to empower people around us who can do things maybe better, faster, cheaper, if they're just given the right tools and the right kind of encouragement, it change the culture of your organization. And I think, I think we would both agree, Chris, I think our, our community needs to study leadership as much as they do their, their CPP data and some of the other things they tend to enroll in. I, I agree. I think, I think organizations don't necessarily invest uh, in much as leadership as we think, right? That has to come from an external perspective or you get it when you're, um, you know, a vice president, you can go to, you know, Carnegie or, you know, name your Wharton or whatever for some, some level of, of, uh, of a school. But most, most folks, you're right, don't study leadership as much, uh, don't study psychology as much unless they only focus on threat, right? And so, you know, as we try to understand human nature, we try to understand adults, adult learning, how people like to be led, uh, managed, 
Uh, and it's funny you brought up the, the, the C word, right? Control, uh, because protectors specifically, um, they want to control everything that they possibly can because, because that way they, they feel like they've got a grip on, on whatever the environment is, right? And I, think, and I don't think that's a bad thing based on their role, but you can see a little bit of it if you can see what's coming as far down the road as possible and focus on, you know, change that direct trajectory. So um, yeah, that leadership piece is, is important. And, and I think the empowering piece is important too. And I think, you know, in, in our industry specifically, there's this fine balance between being a gray hair, which, uh, which in most industries like means you're very, very wise, right? Or, or needing to be moved off to, in, in the in the in the in the EP industry, it's like, hey man, you might want to sit on that couch over there for a little bit, get your feet up, because there's some younger folks who want to get some things done here, you know. So uh, I think, you know, studying leadership is is very important. I think also looking at people's backgrounds, not from a not from a skills perspective, but from a but from a learning perspective, like how what is this person learned, right? So from example. You know, uh, somebody who's been in the military for 10 years has gone through at least three months of leadership training, some of it with their um, with their job specific, but mostly general, you know, leadership in general, because that comes with with ranks. So um, I don't know any other industry who invests that much in um, in, in people in understanding small team leadership and the larger organization leadership. And I had a, uh, a very. Um, um, you know, I enjoyed that myself. And then I, to, to the point that I actually uh, pursued education in it, um, I, I was trying to cheat on the MBA and I went for management and leadership because it didn't have any math, right? And then I ended up getting an MBA afterwards and realized the math wasn't really that bad. But um, anyways, uh, so I agree with you from a leadership perspective, clearly. I think, I think leadership is a, is a significant function um, and seating control is really power, right? Is that if you, it, tell, it tells your team, I trust you, right? I trust you to make the right decisions. Uh, I will be here to support you if you look like you're going to break the boat. But if you ding it, that's just part of uh, that's just part of growing, right? And I think that becomes important. Absolutely, Chris. Um, you and I both do our own podcast, and you. So you're a student, even in <laughs> your extracurricular activities. Your podcast is again for our viewers. What is it called again? Uh, our podcast is called Conversations in Close Protection, uh, where we talk about all things uh, close and executive protection. CICP, you can Google. Yes, sir. All right. Yep. Yep. CICP. Yeah, and 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 folks, this this is a serious this is a serious podcast. Even though the uh, the two hosts, Chris and his buddy Chuck, tend to crack a few jokes at the beginning, this is a serious podcast. You really delve into some amazing issues in and around the protector world, and uh, I just want to encourage folks to listen to it. No, thank you. And we try to be a resource for either folks that are new, uh, mid, mid-level career, senior level. Uh, and it's really not about Chuck or I, it's really about the guests um, and, and what they bring to the table. And we've been lucky to, to speak to some fantastic folks, um, one of which is, uh, is of course, yourself, Ron. Uh, uh, I, I think people, would, people that know me would say that I'm fairly, we got a very dry sense of humor and uh, you know, not easily excitable. But like I said before, um, and I said it on our podcast, Right. I was I was cheering when you were speaking, so I'm honored to be on the uh, uh, on your podcast. And hopefully, you don't have to change the name to like you know just an okay conversation to you know for at least for this one we might do a name change, right? Yeah, you know. I think we'll call it. <laughs> I think we'll call it the power of story, the power of Chris story. There it is. Nice. The power like of story. It. 
This has been a great conversation with Chris Story. Looking forward to his future podcast and the upcoming event, IPSB, in December. Thank you again, Chris. Thank you, Ron. Much appreciated. Thank you so much.